Go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number one. Matthew, chapter number one, beginning at verse number 18. Matthew, chapter one, and verse number 18. If you found it, say, Praise the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. Amen. That is my title this morning, God with us. Lord, I thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy. God, for the program that we've just seen that reminds us that when everything is crazy and busy, Lord, that you are the real reason that we're here. God, I thank you for our children, Lord, and I pray that you bless them. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be with us in the remainder of the few moments of this morning's service. I pray, God, for your anointing to settle on this sanctuary. And God, on everyone that's joining us online, and I pray, God, that somehow we can hear your voice speak to us. Lord, that your anointing would move here. And God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a good hand as you're being seated tonight. It was around Christmas time that a little boy named Benjamin wanted a little sister. And so he decided he was going to write God a letter asking Jesus to let him have his little sister. The little boy began to write, and he started out by saying, Jesus, I've been a very good boy this year. But he knew that God would know that he really hasn't been very good, so he wadded up the paper and threw it in the trash and got another piece of paper out. And he began to write, Jesus, I've been a pretty good boy this year. And then he knew that God would know that he hadn't been pretty good either. And so he wadded up the piece of paper and he threw it away. And he sat there and he wondered, how am I going to get my little sister? And so he went to the nativity scene that his mother had put out. And he looked at all the animals and the shepherds. And he looked at Joseph and the wise men. He looked at Jesus in the manger looking up at Mary, his mother. And he got an idea. He went to the bathroom, to the closet, and got a towel. He went back to the nativity scene and carefully laid the towel out, and he took the figurine of Mary, 
and he laid it carefully in the towel and wrapped it up so carefully so it wouldn't get broken. And he took the towel with Mary and put it under his bed. And he got out a piece of paper and said, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you'll bring me a little sister. We do the same thing in our own way, don't we? We try to manipulate God to do what we want. God, if you'll do what I want you to do, I'll do what you want me to do. Or God, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I won't do what you want me to do. Today I want to talk about the word Emmanuel. That, that story has nothing to do with my message. I just thought it was funny. And so I wanted to use it. The word Emmanuel is only found in your Bible three times, twice in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. To understand what Emmanuel means, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the oldest sources. For that, we're going to go to the book of Job, of all places. Job is the 18th book in your Bible. But the Bible isn't all in chronological order. For instance, Genesis is known as the book of beginnings, but it was actually the first book of Moses, which he wrote the stories down much later. As a matter of fact, the book of Job, they believe, is the oldest book in the entire Bible. The events of the book of Job took place before the time of Moses. They believe it took place in the era of the patriarchs. The writing style of the book of Job is different from all the other books in the Bible. It makes no reference to any other book or story in the Bible. That suggests that the book of Job is the oldest of the books. The customs, opinions, and manners that are discussed predate those found in the rest of the Bible. One of the reasons it's important to know that Job is the oldest book of the Bible is because The things that we learn in the book of Job are the longest and oldest problems that man faces. The problem of suffering and pain and grief are things that go all the way back to the very beginning, the oldest things that man has had to deal with. Job's problems and Job's questions are the oldest questions that mankind has ever had. There's one problem in the book of Job that I think is the most important in regards to his era. Job was a man that knew the highest highs and the lowest lows. He knew what it was like to be fantastically wealthy and have tremendous power. The Bible called him the greatest man in all the East. He was fantastically wealthy. He was renowned for his integrity. Even the devil respected Job. Job didn't only know about blessings. He learned about terrible loss and suffering. Job lost all of his children, lost all of his possessions. He lost his health and strength. The terrible losses that Job suffered sent him on a long journey trying to understand life and God, trying to understand how to deal with the situations of life. He tried to figure out what he might have done 
that had made him suffer so much. He tried to understand why he went through such terrible things. And then Job's friends come along, and they try to reason why God had cursed Job and what Job could have done that would have caused all of this to happen. His friends tell him, you must have done something terrible. You must be a horrible sinner. But Job knew that he hadn't done anything to deserve what he had gone through. He concluded that I can never make myself good enough for God. All of my own efforts, everything I try to do, no matter what, is not going to be good enough for me to make myself pure enough to earn the mercy of God. I can't make myself good enough. I can't make myself holy enough. I can't make myself deserve God's favor. And so finally, Job declared what the problem was between him and God. He said in Job 9 and 32, for he is not a man as I am. The problem between me and God is God's not a man like me. God doesn't understand what it's like to go through what I've gone through. I can't make God understand what it's like to feel the way that I feel. God doesn't understand grief. No one ever knocked on his door and told him that all of his children have been killed in a terrible accident. God doesn't understand grief and heartache. He doesn't understand what it's like to stand by the grave of a loved one and know you'll never see him again. He doesn't understand what it's like to wake up sick and to not feel like doing anything, to hurt. He doesn't understand what it's like to wake up and want to go see your children and understand that you'll never see them again. God doesn't, because God's not a man like I am. God doesn't understand what it's like to feel emotional or physical or spiritual stress. God's not a man like I am. He doesn't ever wake up and feel the way that I feel. He never had to worry about if everything was going to work out. He never had to worry about, am I going to have enough money to take care of my family? God's not a man like I am. He's never dealt with stress at work and stress at home and stress in relationships and stress in children. He's never had financial pressure. He's never had marriage trouble. He's never had trouble at work. God is not a man like I am. God doesn't understand anything about what it's like to be me. God's never dealt with frustration or disappointment. He's never dealt with anxiety or fear or depression. He's never felt what it feels like to wake up and know that no matter what you do, you can't change anything about yourself and you can't make yourself, you can't get yourself out of your trials and tests God is not a man like I am. The problem that Job presents is the fact that God is a million miles away and he has no idea what it's like to feel the way I feel. God's never walked in my shoes. He's never dealt with what I'm dealing with. And so Job says God's not a man. God doesn't understand what I've been through and what I've faced. As time goes on, we see that Job's same problem plays out in multiple situations throughout the Bible. In one of them, the prophet Isaiah is sent to the king of Judah because the nation is on the verge of collapse. 
Syria, the neighboring country, had attacked them, and Judah prevailed in the war against Syria. And then a civil war broke out, and the northern kingdom known as Ephraim attacked Judah. And Judah prevailed in that war. But now Syria and Ephraim have joined their armies together. And now they're going to attack and we don't know what to do. And Isaiah 7 and 2 said, it was told the house of David saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved as the heart of his people. As the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. The, the verse, the Bible here says, that my enemy came and I handled my enemy. And then my other enemy came and I handled that enemy. But now my enemies have piled up against me and I don't know what I can do about it. The Bible said that their hearts were moved like the trees of the wind. You ever felt that way, that you had so much stress and anxiety, so much going on in your life that you almost could feel your heart move inside? Anybody ever feel that way before? I have, when there was so much going on and I didn't have an answer to it and I didn't know how to figure it out and I couldn't make it all come back together and you just have that feeling inside, everything's falling apart and there's nothing I can do about it. My heart is moved like the trees are moved with the wind. I handled my problem one at a time, but now that it's all coming at me at the same time, if it was just a situation with my kids, I could handle that. If it was just a situation in my marriage, I could handle that. If it was just a financial situation, I could deal with that. If it was just a work situation, I could handle that. But now it seems like it's all going on at the same time. And I don't know what to do. My heart is moved like the trees of the wind. So much pressure, so much stress. What am I going to do? The Bible, that, that, that phrase, their heart was moved, with like the tree of the wind, is the Bible trying to describe what it felt like to feel like you have no solution, you have no way to fix it, you have nothing you can do. What am I going to do to survive? How am I going to make it? What's the answer? God doesn't understand what it feels like to deal with all these problems because God's not a man like I am. And so it was at this moment that God sent Isaiah to the king. And Isaiah gave him a promise in Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's how you're going to overcome the trials in your life. Here's the sign that you found the solution to your situation. The answer is you're going to find a virgin that will conceive and she's going to bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. This prophecy, this promise was coming, but the time wasn't yet. Someday there's going to be an answer, but right now I don't have one. The prophet continued to describe the situation in Israel in, in Isaiah 8 and 22. Here's what the Bible said about the situation going on in their world at that time. They shall look into the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. What a horrible outlook. What a horrible outlook on the world. Trouble, 
darkness. That word darkness there is the word, the, the Hebrew word haseket. It means misery. You have distress and misery. Dimness means gloom and despair. Anguish means to be in a strait between trouble. It's like you have so many troubles that you're stuck in between them. And then it says darkness, the word appella here, is misfortune, calamity, and wickedness. What a horrible way you look at the world and all you see is trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to calamity and misfortune. They shall be driven to darkness. You look at the world and it looks like it's, there's nothing good going on. He said you look at the earth and it looks like everything is bad in the world. And I'm going to tell you, you look at the world these last couple of years and you see all this stuff. They're never going to run out of a new thing. It just is what it is. They're always going to come up with something else to keep pushing us and pushing us. The world is not going to get any better is my point. The world's not going to get any better. It's just going to keep, the world's going to keep deteriorating all around. And if you're looking to the world for your answer, here's what you're going to find in the world. Trouble, darkness, dimness of anguish, and darkness upon the face of the earth. There is no solution in Washington, D.C., there is no solution in the halls of government. There is no solution in the financial capitals. There is no solution in the media. There is no answer from doctors. There is no answers from this world. If you're going to look at the world, they'll look to the earth, and what they're going to see is trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. When you look at the world, it's hopelessness. Why bother? Just give up. And there's some people that when they look at all the stuff going on in their life, their, their thinking is, I've got no hope. It'll never work out. It's never going to be okay. There's always going to be something. But it's just two verses later, after, the, after they look at the world and they see all the darkness and all the anguish, just two verses later, the prophet said, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. For they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. The prophet said, you're going to be surrounded by darkness, but in the middle of that darkness, there's going to come a light, and that light is going to shine and give hope when there is no hope. And then in just a couple of verses later, in Isaiah 9 and 6, he tells where the hope comes from. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The prophet said there's going to be a time when there's nothing but darkness, but in that time there's going to be a child born, and it's not going to be like any other child. His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The prophet said, you're going to know you found hope when a virgin conceives. And that's where we come to our text this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter number 1 and verse number 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The oldest book in the Bible had the oldest problem in the Bible, God is not a man. God has never been where I've been. God's never dealt with what I've had to deal with. 
God's never gone through what I've had to go, go through. But in the book of Matthew, in Jesus Christ, we find that he's not God way off in heaven somewhere. And he's not God way off on a golden throne somewhere. But he's God with us. With us in our trial. With us in our pain. With us in our weakness. You can call on him when you can't call on anyone else. And when you're in darkness, it's God with us. And when you're alone, it's God with us. And when you don't have an answer, it's God with us. And when your marriage is falling apart, God with us. When the doctor's report comes in, God with us. When your finances are stretched to the limit, it's God with us. In my troubles, in my weakness, in my circumstances, in my situations, in my sickness, in my disease, in my pain, in my trouble, in my sin. It's God with us. You can stand with me. I'm closing. My goal, my goal was to be like the Lord, to do a quick work. I find it interesting that when that prophecy came, when the prophecy for Emmanuel came, Israel was in a war against two different groups, the Syrians and against Ephraim. The Syrians are an expected enemy. They've been the enemy. Syria has been an enemy of Israel from the very beginning. They knew they were going to always be an enemy. What they didn't expect was to have a war with Ephraim. Ephraim was the northern kingdom of Israel, their brothers, they had walked through the wilderness together. They had marched through the Red Sea together, through the Jordan River together. They had marched around the walls of Jericho together. They had faced Philistines and Amalekites and Moabites together. And now the very people they had been with are the very ones they're having to fight against now. They never expected that enemy. It's not the things in life that we deal with that we know are going to be trouble. It's when those things pop up that we didn't expect. When relationships break down that we never thought would break down. When people that we used to walk with, now we war with. Things that we thought we had under control and could live with now, it's chaos. And so it was in the middle of that trouble. I, I, I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job trying to transmit exactly how it was when Jesus came, when the word came, the prophecy came. Because we think about Jesus and we've made, if, if I was going to deal with pet peeves today, I would make a pet peeve about Christmas music. But since I'm not making pet peeves, I'm not going to tell you how aggravated I am that the world has made all the Christmas music, Christmas love songs. Makes me so mad. I'm so sick of hearing Christmas love songs. Y'all want to give your pet peeves, you can have it till the mic goes out. I got it right now. It gets on my nerves so bad. They've turned Christmas into into a, a, feels like a three-month-long Hallmark love movie. So sick of all that garbage. 
If you men don't say amen, I'm going to wonder about you. I mean, I expect the ladies to like it, but come on, fellas, man up a little bit. We got a men's conference. Y'all need to go. I'm sick of Christmas love music. Amen. I got, I finally, all this time, I finally got somebody under conviction. when you're dealing with situations in life that you expect to deal with, that you expect to be troubled, when you deal with those things and, you, and you, you, you're dealing with them, you expect it to be difficult. That's one thing. But when you have things that come to your life that you didn't think you'd have to fight with, that's when it's real anxiety. And sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus came when everything was perfect and wonderful and great. And that you know the, the 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 silent night and the you know the, the the freshly the freshly fallen snow before a footprint goes through it and everything's just so idyllic and beautiful. But friends, that's not the way it was when Jesus came. When he came, it was darkness and dimness of anguish. It was in the middle of that terrible war with an enemy that they expected to fight and an enemy they never thought they'd have to. How many of you in the last year or two or three have dealt with something you never dreamed you'd have to deal with before? That's the time when the Lord sent a word. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and call his name Emmanuel. You're in, your, you're in a time of war, but God's with us. You're dealing with stuff you never dreamed you'd have to deal with, but God's with us. You're facing an enemy that you never dreamed you'd have to face. You thought you'd be fighting with them, not fighting with them. But it's at that time that it's God with us. And so we learn something at Christmas time that God's most with us when things are at their worst your eyes are closed all over this place there's been people that's probably been tempted to think my life's so messed up there's no way God would even want to mess with me I got so much chaos in my world there's no way that God would even be interested why would he even want to come to me I'm going to tell you that's exactly when he comes God with us Lord, I'm asking you to be with these men and women and young people today. In the middle of their trials, in the middle of their circumstances. God, in the darkness and the dimness of anguish. God, when there's chaos and there's no answers. When you're dealing with things you never thought you'd have to deal with. It's when it's God with us. Lord, I'm asking you today to speak peace to somebody's chaotic life today. God, I'm asking you to, Lord, that those that are in such inner turmoil, dealing with the cares and the situations of life, God, that you are with us. Let me tell you, he's with you in your 
depression and he's with you in your anxiety and he's with you in your fear. He's with you in your frustration and discouragement. He's with you when you feel like your marriage is falling apart or your kids are going crazy. He's with you when you don't know if you can take one more thing and when you're trying to balance giving your family a great Christmas and at the same time, how are you going to pay for it all? And the stress builds up and builds up. I just want you to know it's God with us. When I don't know if I can take one more bad report, it's God with us. I just came to remind somebody today that this is not all about what this world has made it. It's all about God with us. That when you've embarrassed everyone in your world because of what you've done, God's not embarrassed. He's with you. I wonder if you could just lift your hands. There's a few that's come to the altar, but I I know there's some folks here today that you're wanting, you know, you just need to know that God's with you. Whatever you feel like you may have done that it's too much to overcome, I just want you to know God's still with you. And when you've come to the end of your rope and you feel like you're all alone, it's God with us. Lord, I'm asking you to touch these good men and women and young people today. God, I'm praying for the Holy Ghost to settle over this building in such a sweet way. God, to give a touch of encouragement. God, to speak a word of faith to somebody. Lord, to let somebody know that the darkness is not going to win. It's God with us. The anguish, the discouragement, the depression. God, I pray, Lord, all those emotions that come up most at the holidays. God, I pray that the one thing we'd remember, Lord, is that you're with us. We are not alone. We are not isolated. We are not by ourselves. It's God with us. That Job's problem that God's not a man was solved when you came down and you wrapped yourself in flesh and you lived, you walked, you dealt with and you were tempted in all manner like as we are. God, you knew betrayal like nobody else would ever know it. You knew pain and heartache, physical, emotional. You knew what it was like to be forsaken and isolated and alone. You knew the darkness. Thank you, God, for being with us today. Thank you, God, for being with us. In a pandemic, in difficult societal, cultural times, difficult political times, difficult economic times, with uncertain future, thank you for being God with us. Lord, I pray for the Holy Ghost to move in this place right now. I'm not, I'm not trying to drag this out. I've been, trying to, I've been trying to get it over. But I feel like the Holy Ghost is talking to somebody's heart today. 
that you might have felt like he left you a long time ago and that you he wouldn't want anything to do with you. I'm just telling you, God is with you today. Oh, thank the Lord. Why don't you lift your hands and let him be with you right now? Why don't you let the Holy Ghost work in this building right now? Why don't you open your mouth and just begin to thank him? God, I thank you for being with me. Not because I've deserved it. Go ahead. Not because I've deserved it. Not because I've done anything to earn it. But just because your word says it. You're God with us.
been there and knows what we're, what we're going through. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. What a good word. Great word this morning. Let's remember we have practice tonight with all those singing at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock and we have a lot to go through, so please be prompt. Um, we have men's conference that is coming up very soon. So if you are a man and you're interested in going, it's going to be a great time. We have uh, Brother Nate Whitley, Brother Traxel, and Bishop Carpenter will be preaching it. This will be on a Thursday, I mean on a Friday and a Saturday. If you want to more, know more details, meet me immediately after service, immediately after service, men, uh, right over here, and I'll give you more details. It's coming up. 28th and 29th of January. So let's remember that. We have church tonight. Our program, musical program, is 6.30. Come and enjoy more Christmas time. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for ministering to hearts this morning, God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take it to heart. God, and know that you are with us day in and day out, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd help us go with us as we go our separate ways in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus.